0: Another look at the role of the Spirit-filled wife, next on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Over the last couple of broadcasts, we have spent our time looking at the role of the husband within the confines of a Christian marriage. We've already taken a look at the role of the Spirit-filled wife, but in light of where we've been the last couple of programs, we thought it fitting to go back and look once again at the practical role of the Spirit-filled wife. Hi there. Welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Today we're back in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, as we focus our attention on the role of the Spirit-filled family, how we are to operate within the spirit-filled nature of us as believers in Christ. Wives, what is your responsibility? Join us and find out. Here's Pastor Phil now with today's broadcast.
1: Biblical submission is voluntary. It's done, it comes across as I'm yielding to the opinion or the authority of another. And the reason for it is in the context of love. That transfers just about anywhere where we're told to submit as believers. You see, submission is not a female monopoly. We're all told to submit in verse 21. You gotta submit to government, submit to church leaders, submit to one another in the body. It's not the unique role. I believe a man can teach a woman how to submit as he submits to God. My savior is the greatest model of submission we'll ever find. He models submitting to the authority of the Father, though he was equal with the Father. So uh, it's not unique to women, but I think that concept is uh, voluntary yielding in love. Now, what's the motive for doing this submitting? I think it says in verse 21, you submit out of reverence for Christ. She fears Christ, all of us. It says in Colossians 3.18, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Uh, It seems the Lord is intensely involved in what you do. Uh, Submission is not because she's inferior. She's an equal. It's not because she's afraid of the husband, hopefully. She fears her God, but not the man she submits to. It's not because she's weak. And it's not because her husband makes her. There's never any place in scripture the husband is told to tell the woman to submit. This is divine work that only God can accomplish by means of his spirit. There is no man that can make a woman submissive. And all the men said, amen. And if you didn't say amen, you're a coward and you haven't been married very long, you wimp. Uh, you can't make your wife submit. You're not supposed to. That's God's word. See, if you have a submissive wife, as men kind of joke, she knows what's good for her. She better do what I say. And it's a joke. We know that, don't we men? <laughs> Women, you hear the laughter. We know. <laughs> now we cry when you submit. We just kind of go in our room. <laughs> she did it. Because we know we can't make you do it, we know that, and it's it's a wonderful thing. Carol and I had one of our three marital disagreements uh, a few months back, and uh, she disagreed about whatever it was. I mean, I, today I, I tell you, uh, pray for my wife. I tell you, we, we were we were not five feet out of the garage, and she's telling me how to do it. I said, honey, I haven't hit the street. I mean, this is common. I'm not on the street yet. I know, but I'm already nervous. (laughs) She's totally prejudiced against my driving. But anyway, that's a sideline. But we're getting this spat over something and it just hit me. I said, well, Carolyn, I think this is what we ought to do and it's not my job to make you submit. That's between you and God. Figure out what he wants you to do. I don't know, it was so profound, I I know God had to give it to me. (laughs) Because, uh, and there's no place, it's interesting, when I talk, when you talk to the men, you hear this, well, a woman is to submit. I'm amazed at how the genders know the other's role exactly. (laughs) You already know the boundaries, they know what they are to do. And when you get to the women, well, if he loved me like Christ, I'd submit. If he'd be another Jesus, they know exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And when you talk to men, they're not talking about, well, I better work on my part. No, she's saying, you better do your part. When you act like him, I'll submit. And they say, you submit and I'll act like him. (laughs) So you get this little, who's gonna do it first? You know, well, uh, it hits me, I've got all I can do to figure out what I'm to do in the marriage. I, this, All of us men are convinced we were given the harder assignment. Would you three men amen then? <laughs> Thank you. But when you talk to the women, the hardest role is submitting. And all the women said, amen. amen. Oh, you know you believe it. The hardest role is the role you've been called to do. Nobody can do it for you. So, he says, uh, the motive for it is not a perfect husband. is not total agreement. Your motivation is the Lord Jesus Christ. I fear him. I take it as his word for me to do this. And I have his power that when he fills me, he produces this kind of inward attitude in me because to do something against your will is not submission that's subjugation and i always act out in my mind the cross christ is on the cross all right i'll do if that's what you want if you saw christ on the cross and in your mind you saw him with that attitude okay i'll do it but i don't really want to do it i'll die for these wretches would that change your view of the cross if you took out the voluntary element Absolutely. I just do it, there's no other way. No, what you in your heart imagine and what we read in scripture, as a lamb down before the shears, And even before the foundation of the earth, knowing full well the plan, having all the contingency, you hear him say, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself, middle voice in the Greek, John 10. No man can get me on the cross. Love, my love for my people will make me do something nobody can make me do. I lay down my life of myself. Even the Father won't make me go to the cross. You must read John 10. He helped crucify himself. He would not accept the help of the angels. He would not accept the help of the Father. No, I of myself lay down my life. I am 1,000% in doing what must be done on the cross. I voluntarily submit to the price of being a redeemer. Oh, that makes his worth to me a 1,000% more than if he was made to go. My God voluntarily went through Gethsemane and the agonies of the cross. He loved me that much. And when a woman is submitting to God and under the control of the Spirit, her husband is only the beneficiary of it, he's not the producer of it. He reaps the benefit of her fear of God. He reaps the benefit of her Spirit-controlled life. It's not a male victory, it's a divine victory. So let us never view the woman who's submissive as we. Or make any, she better do, she's told. Mister, she's not acting that way because of any man. It's her Savior and the Holy Spirit. So we got to say, I'm in the presence of a godly, God-fearing, spirit-controlled woman. And I better be careful how I treat her because God's with her. God's energizing her. You've been given a great gift. Even an unsaved husband gets such a woman. You know he didn't produce it. She's a gift of the Spirit of God. So submissive is not ever viewed as weakness or subjugation or being conquered by the stronger male sex. It's a divine work of the Spirit. When I meet a submissive woman, I say, what a piece of work God's done. When I meet a mad contain have you ever seen a happy, unsubmissive woman? Well, let's go on, we'll come to that later. Ah, the model of the spirit-filled, submissive wife. I give you some verses, Uh, I won't develop it, but Christ is the model of submission to all of us. And I give you some fancy theological words, ontological and economical. Ontological is the word for being. That in the being of God, ontologically, all three members are of the same attributes, same essence, same power. It's their commonality in their being that's ontological. When we talk about the economical relationship, we're talking about the arranged roles and distinctions they have. The son will die, not the father. Uh, The Father will send the Spirit and the Spirit will submit to the Son and the Father. You know, the Father never submits to the Son. The Father never submits to the Spirit, never. But the Spirit submits to the Father. He will submit to the Son, but the Son submits to the Father and He depended on the Spirit to fill Him when He was tempted. So the other two members, but there's one member of the Godhead that never shows us how to do the submission, that's the Father. But it's the Son who shows us. And the Spirit, but the Son becoming a man, we look to Him. So that we find out the model for our submission among one another's believers is our own Savior. He showed us, He's the model. And He's counter-culture always. So you say, man, we're gonna be weird if we live this way. Well, you're Christians, you ought to be weird. If you're still acting like the culture, you're not a Christian. You've been poured into a different mold. We are counterculture people. Our God dictates how we live, not MTV. Oprah, Donahue, or some other El Pucco stars. Now, God tells us what we do. And notice the respect this woman gives. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Most of you aren't reading the literature, so you don't even know the debate, and you're well off. Uh, there's a whole debate over what the meaning of head means. And some, uh, the new wrinkle is it means source. But it's, uh, that is not true. In this book, and uh, Evangelical Theological Society, uh, Dr. Grudem has done a word study on kephalae, the word for head, and he's traced it all the way from the New Testament, patristic writings, for 2,000 years how the word was used in every kind of Greek literature, and it always was a term for authority, never for source. And when you treat your husband's head, you're treating him as one who has authority in your life. It's just as Christ has authority in the church. He likens his role to that of Christ over the church. Christ is not only the source of the church, He is the head of the church. He has authority over the body. So this is where people say, well, I can't treat anybody as having authority over me. The spirit-filled woman does. And uh, as we've heard in recent days, the thing that men crave the most in a marriage is respect. And a spirit-filled woman gives it to her husband. She respects him. She respects him as one whose opinion is uh, above all other opinions as far as in her life. And this woman is not under this submission to every man. This is talking about intermarriage. Because God wants the couple to be, form a union of unity where the two become one, not where they're unilaterally distinct. I've got my checkbook, you've got yours. I've got my bedroom, you've got yours. You've got your duties, I've got mine. We are two independent people. Uh, we just meet once in a while for a kiss. Or to, to figure out what we do with these brats. No, no, he wants a union form. We want them to be one. But in that equality coming together, I want one to take the responsibility of being the head and the other being willing to submit to them. Now, I have to put in this, it's not in the text. She respects this man as the head and as authority of their home over their children, and she'll submit to his authority. It it, it doesn't say she doesn't have an opinion. It doesn't say she may not be right. And all successful marriages have learned to say, she seems to be right at least 50% of the time. That may vary, that may vary in your marriage, but I've got her up to at least 50%. And when she's not, or whatever, I've got to live with a, I told you to turn there, and when we run out of gas over here enough times, I just, I just kind of take it under advisement. Work that out any way you want. Uh, but you want to be a unit. You want, to, And so it's like, you know, being on a football team and just say, uh, uh, let's say we went to the young Montana era. Hey Montana, you're not telling me what to do in the huddle. We're all equal on this team. No, we're, we're, we're equally on the team. But we all have distinct roles. Not everybody gets to call the play. And that's the responsibility of leadership in any context. The others must say, if I think this guy was good enough to be picked as quarterback, and that's where every woman gets to pick her quarterback. Choose wisely. Don't just fall in bed with a guy for sex. You want to know what kind of leadership would this man provide me in all areas of life? That's what I'm looking for, is a man of character to lead me. Uh, it says this woman submits to her husband in every area of life, in everything. Now, he didn't say this. I don't think he thought he had to say it, because he's going to go to the spirit-filled husband. Everything does not mean when he asks you to sin. Uh, we never sin for anybody. Government, marriage, uh, no. Uh, you, you can't comply with the, uh, and violate your conscience, if it's a biblical conscience. I think the emphasis is probably not just in the area of sexual union. Maybe it, the woman would assume that probably in this culture. But in every area of life, Uh, You know consider him Uh, make this this submission in all areas of your life finances children uh, I mean you consider you voluntarily are we willing to yield to their leadership in all areas of your married life And of course then the weight on the man is is he is he providing leadership? and uh, I often say it's hard to follow a parked truck But but that's it. We'll deal with him next. Well, in light of time, let me just ask you some questions. How is a wife to live with an unsaved husband? And I would always point you to 1 Peter 3. She's to be a submissive woman uh, living out Christ. She doesn't have to sin for her husband. Neither does she need to be preaching to him all the time. She just needs to be living the kind of life that reflects Christ. And God uses that kind of life to convict and to show the husband there's a better way and hopefully leading to the Lord. And you ask, well, how did she wind up with this unsaved guy? Well, if she's biblical all the way, it's probably she married him while she was unsaved and then she became a Christian. And now I'm in this unequal yoke, as we call it. But God never calls it an unequal yoke at that time. He calls it a valid marriage that you should fight to maintain and sustain. And he tells you in 1 Corinthians 7, don't even leave this unsaved person. You stay in that marriage and make it the best you can. If the unsaved wants to leave, that's their option. But for the believer, fight to keep that home going. 1 Corinthians 7. Two, uh, what is a wife to do if her husband wants her to sin and violate biblical principles? Uh, Of course, obey God rather than man. What is the difference between subjugation and submission? I would say the whole word voluntary. You put a gun at my head and tell me to do something and you get me to do about anything. But that's not submission. I've been subjugated. You need force to produce subjugation. Submission is not to be a force issue. It's a voluntary issue of a woman who loves God, who's spirit-filled, and has come to love you. So uh, that's the big difference. Uh, Have you ever seen a happy, unsubmissive Christian? On any level, man, woman, have you ever seen a happy, unsubmissive. I mean, even a Christian that will not submit to church leaders. I've never seen a happy Christian that doesn't submit to divine authority on any level. I've never seen a happily married woman who says, I won't submit to my husband. She's miserable. No, nope. and God will keep her miserable because she's violating a divine mandate. This is not cultural. This is biblical on all levels, and it applies to us men, too. How is it possible that two Christians could ever divorce? I think this is one of the most baffling things to me is to see Christians who are supposed to be under the control of the Spirit and under the authority of the Scriptures getting divorces. You can never get a divorce without sin. And Jesus said in Matthew 19, the divorce comes from the hardness of heart. Someone is wrong with God. You cannot, as believers, break up a home in the will of God. You'll have to sin to do it. Now, he says there in Matthew, if one is proved to be maritally unfaithful in the realm of sexual responsibility, adultery, Uh, any kind of sexual impropriety. He says, God will permit you, according to the law of Moses, to remarry and get a divorce. But the greater Christian thing is first seek forgiveness. I think what happens, we advise here, if someone was unfaithful to the marriage relationship, forgive. This is the first, I think, and best thing to do. It's perpetual immorality and unfaithfulness that so somebody's carrying out a hard heart and that's what will rent the marriage. And Let me say this, let me say this to you very clearly. Sometimes I tell a woman to go file the papers. Sometimes I tell a Christian woman to go file the papers. And we get people in the church says, "Oh, oh so so-and-so's getting a divorce. They're getting a divorce. And they said, you told them to. Well, let me tell you why. The hardness of heart in the marriage is not who goes and files. It's who is living in adultery. It's who refusing to repent. Those who are refusing to cut off the third party. Those who are refusing to get right. The woman or the man who files is not the one with the hard heart. They're acknowledging the hard heart. They're acknowledging a person who refused to be reconciled, to repent, and to recommit themselves to that marriage and faithfulness. That's why we say that. They are in the hard heart. Acknowledge it. You have every right to break this. You're not even breaking it. You're only legally acknowledging what they've already broken, the marriage vow the marriage covenant between you and God. They are breaking that covenant. The only other grounds we ever advise people on the grounds of divorce is if the unsaved wants to depart, if the unsaved does not want to live in the home with peace, if they want to turn their home into a drug den, if they want to turn their home into something that sexually abuses children, get out! They left you because of their conduct. We don't ask women to stay in homes to be beat up and have their kids sexually abused or their kids to be shot up with drugs. We will protect women every way we know how. And say, let the unsaved depart. Such a believer's not bound in such a case. First Corinthians chapter seven.
0: Pastor Phil Howard here in our series, God's Design for Life. Getting a clue, an understanding, an idea of just how much God really loves us and the design that he has for your life and mine. This is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. And as we conclude our time together today, we're mindful of the fact that there might be those of you who would enjoy hearing this program again. As always, we have copies available on CD. Simply call or write to us or stop by our website. You can reach us by phone at 855 833-9864. 833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. Or stop by our website, truthfortodayradio.org. As you contact us, please bear in mind that we do continue this radio broadcast here on this station through the generous support of Truth For Today sustainers, folks just like you, with your dollars as you partner with us financially, we'll provide to you, as our way of saying thanks, a quarterly newsletter, a a once-a-year special gift. Take a break with Pastor Phil, the weekly video devotional. It's all available for you as you partner with us financially. For more information, give us a call. Our phone number, once again, is 855-833-9864. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard.